Welcome to episode 24 in the second season of Justice with John Carvey, the podcast from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. I'm the show's producer, Kevin Steele, and I'm here with our host, John Carpe, who is the president and founder of the center. Today, we're going to deviate slightly from our usual course of talking about the doings and don'tings of the Justice Center and speak to a topic we've touched on in the past, that of the role of the Colleges of Physicians and Surgeons in the pandemic response across Canada over the last 16 months. It's a touchy subject, not one that many doctors want to address publicly especially if they have criticisms to level. These institutions, which control who gets to practice medicine in each province, have, as you can imagine, enormous power over their members. Some have overtly threatened doctors to fall in line with the government purveyors of medical panic, specifically telling them they will brook no criticism of public health authorities and their lockdown methods. Even worse... Some have specifically told doctors not to talk about alternative treatments that may be available for COVID-19. I believe these prohibitions, feebly justified and, as it turns out, scientifically unsound, have led to the loss of many lives across Canada. We're going to start off with an excerpt from a press conference that was organized by MP Derek Sloan to speak to the issues of the suppression of speech and science in Canada's medical communities. Besides Mr. Sloan, there were three doctors who participated in his June 17th event, which was broadcast and archived by CPAC. We're going to hear from the middle speaker, Dr. Patrick Phillips, a young physician practicing with Blanche River Health in Englehart, Ontario. His is about a five-minute presentation. So I'll play that now, and then we'll get John to comment. Is that okay, John? Yeah. Okay, here we go. Thank you very much, Byram, and, and thank you very much, Derek, for, for her organizing this and having us here. Uh, I've been told we're, we're pressed for time, so uh, I will be brief. Um, but I want to I bring out my main point, um, that uh, I, I'm, a family, I'm a family physician. I, I practice medicine in the town of Englehart, Ontario, primarily in the emergency department of Blanche River Health. And uh, I first got into speaking out, uh, seeing the massive harms from these lockdowns on my patients. I've never seen so many suicidal children. I've never seen so many cases of people coming into the emergency department for the first time with metastatic cancer. And, and seeing those harms, I, I made a decision and I, to myself that I knew that I couldn't live with myself if I did not speak out. And the reason I was afraid to speak out was because there were rumors in the medical community uh, that the college was coming after people who, who chose to do that. And uh, I've, I've had many brave predecessors before me, like Dr. Coolvinder Gill, uh, who bravely uh, spoke out anyways. Um, but uh, what happened uh, this spring, on April 30th, uh, the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario came out with a very chilling statement, uh, basically saying that it's the professional responsibility of all physicians not to communicate anti-vaccine, anti-masking, anti-distancing and anti-lockdown statements and or promoting un, un, unsupported, unproven treatments for COVID-19. They uh, were very explicit and, and, and threatened investigation and discipline for any physicians who uh, express any of the negative aspects of any of these interventions, uh, no matter what the evidence, uh, what the evidence says. And I have to say, 
Over this last year, I've done a lot of research. I've looking into the looking into the evidence around uh, lockdowns, but especially around treatments. And I want to I want to especially make a point around uh, a few treatments. One of them, for example, is vitamin D, which which uh, our health minister has uh, um, has named fake news. But uh, I want to emphasize that there's over 85 studies. And 27 treatment trials. Many of these are peer-reviewed scientific literature that that have shown a 56% reduction in mortality in patients who take vitamin D compared to those who don't for COVID-19. But even more so, because that was very early on, what we've learned in these last few months is about ivermectin. Uh, We have on our hands a very safe treatment that's won a Nobel Prize. Billions of doses have been administered throughout the world because it's a commonly used antiparasitic that's over-the-counter in many uh, many countries around the world. And uh, world-leading scientific and physician uh, researchers, uh, um, Dr. Paul Merrick and Dr. Pierre Corey, have been shouting from the rooftops around this medication because at this point, we have 97 studies and over 30 randomized control trials that have shown a huge benefit to this medication in reducing the risk of death and hospitalization in patients who have COVID. And not only does this treat patients with COVID, especially when you give it early, but there is also uh, uh, a role, and there's 14 randomized control trials for prophylaxis, meaning taking this medication for high-risk patients early, it can reduce your chance of catching COVID in the first place, which is especially relevant for long-term care homes and for healthcare workers uh, in hospitals. And at this point, um, the the College of Physicians uh, has launched investigations against many of my colleagues, including myself, threatening to take our licenses away for promoting what they call unproven treatment, but what uh, but what uh, the scientific peer-reviewed literature shows is very well supported uh, in the science uh, around these treatments. And so I've made a decision to myself, likewise, like, like when I decided to speak out about uh, lockdowns, that I could not live with myself. If I have a patient sitting in front of me who has COVID-19 and they can't breathe or they're at high risk of being hospitalized or dying, I can't just s- stand in front of them knowing what I know, a 75% reduction in mortality, and not give this uh, to my patients. But more so, uh, seeing what's, what's happening with the Ontario Science Table, not recommending this medication, even recommending against vitamin D, which I think is unthinkable, because the harm is none. <laughs> this is a natural substance. And they're telling us not to give this to these patients, despite mortality benefit. I know there's something going wrong, and I knew I needed to speak out, no matter what the college does to my license. Because at this point, there's there's bigger things going on than my career, and I, I thank Byram for for uh, for bringing that up. But there's there's something bigger than my medical career at this point, because lives are being lost, and uh, and uh, we need to speak out. And so, thank you, Derek, for for uh, for having me here to get this message out. And uh, uh, I think we're moving on to Doctor Doctor Welsh. Yeah. Okay, brave guy uh, who has decided that he's going to speak out despite what the colleges have threatened. I will not go on a rant here because the show is named after you, John, but boy, I really (laughs) want to. Go ahead, comment on that. Well, I think we could just wrap up today's podcast right here with, uh, with that eloquent five minutes from 
from Dr. Patrick Phillips, and kudos to him. It's people like these. Uh, th- these are heroes that are speaking truth in dark times. And the more people there are like that, uh, the sooner the darkness is going to be vanquished. And it's especially important when people are willing to suffer for speaking truth. Unfortunately, I don't think evil can be vanquished. If people say, well, I'll speak the truth, but only if there's no personal cost uh, to me, then I'll speak the truth. That doesn't uh, move the... It doesn't move the radar. What's the expression? Move, move the ball. It doesn't change the game. The game changer is when people speak the truth and are willing to suffer for it. I'm uh, I'm reading a book called "Live Not by Lies." Uh, it's Paul Jason. Uh, yes, uh, the book includes that. We'll yeah. devote an episode to that. But "Live Not by Lies." I'm I'm halfway through. It's it's about two hundred pages. The first hundred is thoroughly depressing in uh, looking at woke capitalism and how extensive surveillance is and how little privacy we have. And it talks about soft totalitarianism. The author argues that we are heading into not so much the George Orwell 1984, but rather uh, Huxley's Brave New World. Uh, And he he had a pithy distinction. He says George Orwell's 1984 was a, a totalitarian dystopia where People are forbidden to read books. Brave New World is a dystopia where people don't want to read books because they've been so uh, dumbed down and channeled into seeking only material comforts and, and pleasure and, and not seeking any other kind of meaning in life. And uh, so he talks about soft totalitarianism. But then he, he refers, uh, I'm starting into the second half, which I hope will be a little bit more encouraging because he's going to kind of propose his solution, but it's live not by lies. Uh, it's to speak truth to power, but he has already mentioned repeatedly that it does take suffering, requires suffering, that you cannot change evil w- without a willingness to suffer for speaking the truth. And of course, he's got the more extreme examples in uh, in communist countries uh, during Soviet totalitarianism from from 1917 to 1990, where people are uh, thrown in jail and tortured and killed. And uh, you know, of course, we're not we're not being called uh, yet to make that kind of sacrifice. Although, even as I'm speaking those words, uh, Pastor Tim Stevens of uh, uh, Fairview Baptist Church in Calgary is currently still in jail. So we've had uh, three pastors in Alberta jailed for uh, honoring their conscience and defying the spirit of the age. Uh, these people are implementing Jason Kenney's exhortation from his uh, 2014 speech on religious freedom and and uh, St. Thomas More talking to the uh, uh, Toronto St. Thomas More Lawyers Guild and saying that uh, we have to honor our conscience in the face of the spirit of the age. And the spirit of the age right now is COVID and lockdowns. And now uh, Jason Kenney is jailing pastors who are uh, honoring their conscience. So Back to the doctors, though. Back Come to on. the doctors. Talking, you were talking about in the face of evil. Well, the face of evil in this situation appears to be the people that are running the society, including the colleges of physicians and surgeons across Canada. That 
is what we are now calling the face of evil because of what they have done, threatening the livelihoods of doctors. I mean, it takes a long time to get a medical degree. And, you know, you don't want to be stripped of that based on what the college says. So, I mean, this is a heavy, heavy threat that they are putting against people. And they made it against vitamin D even. I mean, that's really what caught my ear when I, when I heard this, because, of course, we had talked about it previously. You know, you had talked about your skepticism, and it was mostly around vitamin D. The other ones, well, you know, hydroxychloroquine, of course, there was a study, a phony study that was published in The Lancet that they had to withdraw, that was planted in there in order to discredit it. And uh, ivermectin, they've been doing tests on it, obviously, all along. And uh, But vitamin D, everyone knows is basically vitamin D. You can buy it at the pharmacy and uh, it is a proving very effective. And yet the colleges and the governments in Canada are saying, no, 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 you can't do that. That's wrong. That's going to hurt your patients. And I don't understand that. No, it's, uh, you know, people that have been listening to this podcast for, uh, you know, past close to a year and a half will know that, that uh, I've, uh, my views on lockdowns have evolved very slowly. And when they first emerged, it seemed like a reasonable short-term precautionary response to an unknown virus. And now it's uh, metastasized into a permanent response to a virus that we now know a lot about. And we know based on the government's own data and statistics that it's closer to the much, much, much closer to the, the Asian flu of 1957 and the Hong Kong flu of 1968, and not the Spanish flu of 1918 that Dr. Neil Ferguson uh, expressly overtly told the world uh, COVID is going to kill uh, tens of millions of people like the Spanish flu of 1918. And that's what got us into uh, the state of fear. So all, all of that to say that we, we've gone from, uh, I think it was a reasonable short-term precautionary measure uh, into stupidity. But when you deliberately carry on with stupidity for a long time, it changes from stupidity into evil. And to uh, suppress information about treatments, you know, it would be different if, if, um, if ivermectin had serious negative side effects on, you know, a significant number of people, you know, even as much as one half of 1% or 1% or something like that. If there were serious, you know, deaths, permanent damage to health, etc. If there were serious side effects, harmful side effects from vitamin D or ivermectin or uh, uh, hydroxychloroquine, then I think it would be reasonable for government to say, well, you know, here's the serious side effects. Even then, uh, if COVID is supposed to be like the Spanish flu of 1918, and if COVID is as deadly as what the governments make it out to be to keep us in a state of fear all the time, even then, some of these vitamin D, ivermectin, hydro, uh, hydroxychloroquine, uh, if they had a, a smaller number of negative side effects than you know, COVID deaths and COVID harms, uh, they could still be put on the table. And they can be put on the table in, a, in an honest, nuanced fashion, as they do with other medications. There is debate about uh, anti-cholesterol medication. Some doctors are fans of it. They say your cholesterol is too high. It's bad for your health. Take the anti-cholesterol 
medication. Other doctors say, well, no, there's harmful side effects. You know what? They're, they're probably both right. But, you know, bring on the debate. Science is about uh, debate. It's about putting forward a thesis that is falsifiable. Uh, that's what science is about. You put forward something that can be disproven, that can be falsified. If it's a vague statement that can't be <laughs> proven or disproven, you're not you're not in the realm of of science, right? I I just want to get uh, to something else before I move on a little bit further with this uh, because you had mentioned it, and I know you don't want to go too far into it, but you had some anecdotal information that this this kind of a threat that was issued against the Ontario doctors from their college. It wasn't isolated to Ontario. You had some, like I say, you can, you can just speak about it vaguely. You don't have to give us any particulars, but you do. Can you confirm that you have uh, some information that this was well, happening? I'll, I'll speak places? about it. I'll speak about it very specifically. It's, it's an email I got from a doctor in Alberta, but this was an email that was sent out to 22,000 doctors and uh, the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta uh, says, and I quote, it is important physicians across Alberta adapt their practices to ensure that they comply with the guidance of the Chief Medical Officer of Health. So again, it is important physicians across Alberta adapt their practices to ensure that they comply with the guidance of the Chief Medical Officer of Health. Now this is more of a veiled threat. This is uh, this is a pussycat compared to. Uh, let me contrast that with the uh, Ontario College statement. <clears throat> Ontario College, uh, th- they're saying the same thing, but the Ontario College is more blatant and brazen and, and going further by saying, in Ontario, physicians have a professional responsibility to not communicate anti-vaccine, anti-masking, anti-distancing, and anti-lockdown statements and or promoting unsupported, unproven treatments for COVID-19. Physicians must not make comments or provide advice that encourages the public to act contrary to public health orders and recommendations. Okay. It's absolutely outrageous because it, it kills the thought and exploration and questioning and debate and analysis that is integral to science. This is an utterly unscientific statement this is what you would uh this is what you would expect from uh the stereotypical medieval church statement mm-hmm. and i say stereotypical because there are historians that that uh, call into question the modern stereotypes and saying that the the medieval church uh was actually much much more open to science than than what is today assumed but that's a whole separate topic of debate but this is like a stereotypical medieval church statement, physicians are not to communicate anti-vaccine, anti-masking, anti-distancing, and anti-lockdown statements. This is is asserting and imposing on threat of severe penalty, because as you mentioned, Kevin, if you're you're a doctor and that's how you earn your living, and you've devoted seven seven or more years of your life to going through your undergrad and then your medical school and then your residency, et cetera, et cetera. It's probably close to a decade to have that wiped out and wiped off the the face of the earth and to lose that right to practice medicine is, is an incredibly powerful threat. Uh, It's the same reason why every lawyer in Canada is terrified of his or her law society 
Any lawyer that gets a letter from the law society, it's like, oh boy, this is not going to be good. Because you know that the law society has the right, the, the, the legal authority to strip you of your license to practice law. And so this is an incredibly severe threat. And it, we should have debate about vaccines. We should have debate about masking and debate about the, the merit of uh, antisocial distancing, as I call it, and debate about lockdowns. This is outrageous. This Patrick Phillips talks about suicidal children and metastatic cancer. I'm not sure if I've pronounced that correctly, but the idea being that that the cancer has not been diagnosed. Now, because it has not been diagnosed, because everybody's terrified of going to the doctor or because the hospitals are closed and surgeries are canceled, et cetera, et cetera, to make room for the COVID patients who rarely show up in large numbers. I've heard this from other, uh, there's a Nova Scotia physician whose name I, I won't mention, who's also, uh, who's an emergency room uh, and family doctor. I think he does both. And the harms he sees to his patients caused by lockdowns, caused by people not getting uh, diagnosis, caused by the, the shutdown, the unnecessary shutdown of our medical system caused by anxiety and depression, the eating disorders. There's a pediatrician in Calgary I heard from. The eating disorders among children are growing astronomically. Uh, the Justice Center is putting out a paper, by the way, hopefully within the next week on um, lockdown harms and just itemizing dozens and dozens of different lockdown harms. There's been some studies on that as well, yeah, that have come out recently. Yeah. We've got so. more data. There's more data coming out on that all the time. And these things, they're not caused by COVID. COVID does not cause depression and anxiety and eating disorders. Uh, COVID does not destroy people's livelihoods. COVID does not destroy the life savings of somebody uh, for, you know, private sector people whose, whose life savings are wrapped up and invested in their business, which they're hoping that at the age of, you know, 55, 60, 70, 75, whatever, they're hoping to sell that business for a chunk of change. And that is their retirement income. And along comes, uh, along come the likes of, of, uh, Dina Hinshaw in Alberta and Bonnie Henry in BC and politicians like Doug Ford and, and all the other politicians, which just utterly wipe out and destroy people's life savings. Again, a, a two week shutdown that caused some financial damage to some businesses. Uh, that's already bad enough, but could have been justifiable as a precautionary measure. But to destroy the life savings of people and to take away not just uh, not just their their paycheck, but uh, everything that they've they've worked towards, we're, we're beyond stupid. We're into evil. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I I gotta stick this in right now because I know some of our listeners are screaming at their computer right now listening to us because how do I know that? Because they've actually sent us letters. Okay. okay. What, what they've done is they sent us letters instructing us as to why this might be. There might be a motive because last week they're writing into you specifically because you said you didn't understand it. So they've written in to suggest a motive for why these people have uh, acted in the way they have. That is the, uh, the side, the colleges and whatnot. I'm just going to read uh, quickly uh, one of them from Brian here. He says, hi, John, thanks for the podcast. I continue to find them interesting and informative and look forward to new ones each week. As regards to the most recent, number 23, I can't help myself. I even slept on it overnight. But to offer a few words of feedback on the topic of alternative treatment avoidance by governments and their agencies, under discussion at approximately 35-minute mark. It is my understanding that emergency use approvals 
EUA of the COVID vaccine depends upon there being no other available or effective treatments at hand. As such, if government were to countenance ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, vitamin D, etc., as cheap, effective, available COVID treatment regimes, then the vax industry would lose out on their cash cow EUA. I would actually like to be proven wrong on this due to the logical consequences as to the level of government corruption prevailing. So please RSVP me if you can show that I've been duped. Thanks again. Best regards and Godspeed, Brian. I just want to put in here that I did sort of go into, I did start researching Canada's approval for vaccines and all I could really come up with, and it was kind of going on and on and on in these pages, is that our approvals are pretty much tied to uh, foreign approvals. That is in, you know, so we do have to rubber stamp them here, but it appears that's what we do based on their applications made in other places. In other words, it would be approvals for the American uh, vaccines. It would be approvals with their agencies down there. So, I mean, we do have our standards, formal standards, but of course, in uh, emergency situations, all those get waived for, uh, well, you can understand we're in an emergency situation, but again, you know, they are dependent on those EUAs of other uh, countries. So, Emergency use approval. Yeah, no. yeah. I couldn't prove you wrong. Uh, I will note we did get another one from uh, uh, Carol, and uh, she had uh, sent us a link to um, a Robert F. Kennedy uh, speech as well. I just wanted to acknowledge that we did receive that. Uh, I will post the link down below just because, uh, you know, I mean, this is something that somebody wanted to share with us. And it's pretty much the same thing. You know, she was uh, talking about the emergency use approvals as well. So that's why I kind of had to stop us there and say, okay, people are yelling at their uh, computers right now because we haven't mentioned this. We are aware of that situation. Yes. And we really thank you for, uh, well, continuing to make us aware, if you find that, you know, a significant hole in what we we're saying, uh, feel free to, uh, you know, backfill us with an email. We do appreciate it. Anyways, onward, John. I mean, I'm not going to suggest motives at this point because. Uh, well, it's certainly, you know, I I have to say it sounds, it sounds plausible and it's something mm-hmm. we should look into further and discuss further, but it, it sounds plausible that, uh, yeah, if uh, ivermectin and vitamin D and other treatments are uh, on the table, and if that adversely affects the the whether you call it the the, the vaccine industry or the pharmaceuticals, etc. Uh, because this is, I, I think it's obvious. You don't need to do any research on knowing that this is government subsidized. The fact that it, that everybody can go get a so called free vaccine. Um, mm. it, you know, nothing is free. It's it's being paid for by somebody. So it's being paid for. By tax dollars, obviously, if if I can go into any uh, drugstore in uh, in Calgary and get myself injected with an experimental substance, that's being paid for by tax dollars. So somebody, unless the uh, pharmaceuticals and vaccine manufacturers are working on the model of uh, Mother Teresa of Calcutta and doing it on a nonprofit basis with uh, all their staff in uh you know, close to poverty type of living conditions. Uh, I mean, it stands to reason these these are big companies, and they've got their their CEOs uh, that are earning their whatever you know big salaries that CEOs earn, and they've got their employees and their doctors, and they've got their investors and their shareholders, etc. Nothing wrong with that in and of itself. I'm not I'm not anti business, but uh, this is a government subsidized business, and I think 
in, in terms of the narrative, again, I cannot think of of a good reason why governments would not put nuanced information on the table for the public in terms of treatments. I, I'm not. It's not black. It's and not white. that it's, they're it's, not putting it on the table. They are specifically telling people they can't put it on the table. And they're That's telling. The and in Ontario, as as Doctor uh, Doctor Patrick Phillips uh, said, they've put the the college has said, "Don't give out vitamin D." That's that's insane because if vitamin T, if vitamin D, and Patrick Phillips refers to, there's over 85 studies, uh, including 27 treatment trials, uh, many of them peer reviewed, 56% reduction in mortality. So it's not black and white. Like we have to say, uh, well, vitamin D is the savior, and it's going to save everybody from COVID, and nobody's going to get sick, and nobody's going to die. Versus don't even prescribe vitamin D at all. There's no reason why a government can't take a, a thoughtful, nuanced approach and say, you know, vitamin D has been shown to uh, to be helpful in 56% of the patients. So don't bank on vitamin D uh, as your savior. Uh, but there's no need to go in that opposite direction and to, to prohibit vitamin D. Here in Alberta, Dr. Dina Hinshaw has sworn an affidavit. I don't have it in front of me. Uh, I don't have the exact words, but she, she says she claims in her uh, affidavit that there are, uh, there are no treatments for COVID-19. Mm -hmm. It's a statement to that effect, and and we look forward to cross-examining her on that. Uh, Actually, that that could be be fun. fun. We could have the stack of 85 uh, studies, and, you know, the first one. (laughs) Dr. Hinshaw. 33 controlled trials as well. Yeah, do the ivermectin one. He had some, what was it, 27 27 treatment trials. And we could say... We could have a we could have a stack of these uh, eighty five studies on vitamin D and say, Doctor Hinshaw, I am showing you a document, and it gets marked as an exhibit. Have you read this study? And you know, have you read this study? 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 And uh, ask her about each of the eighty five studies and see if she's read any. And if she has read uh, one or two or three of them, say, well, on what basis do you disagree? And did you read the other eighty two, or are these the only three that you've read? Uh, and then you've got 97 studies on ivermectin. That'd be nice to have a big fat stack of 97 studies. It'd probably be several feet high uh, and go through them one by one and show them to Dr. Hinshaw. Have you read yeah. this study on ivermectin? Yeah. And I mean, I just, you know, every once in a while we'll get a little, have a little fun with this and we'll joke, but I keep reminding myself, you know, people died because of this. People died because they were not given denied. early, denied early intervention treatment, you know. You know, so Hinshaw lied and people died. And we can start saying that now, I think, with uh, the information that's coming out. We can also say McLeod lied and people died. Scott McLeod deserves a little bit of mention here. Of course, he is the registrar of the Alberta College of Physicians. And the reason I just wanted to mention him is because he's been a critic of the government's response in the sense that he has been calling for, well, through the council uh, on the Edmonton Zone Medical Staff Association and their Strategic COVID-19 Pandemic Committee. He's been calling for stricter lockdowns the whole time. Uh, he's also the Registrar of the College of Physicians here in Alberta. And he is also the, he became on June 20th, 
or yeah, in June 2020, the president of the Federation of Medical Regulatory Authorities of Canada, which is the association of all the colleges. So he's the he in the middle of the pandemic became the head honcho of uh, that organization. And he's local, right? You know, so I guess he deserves special mention as well. Well, this uh this so-called uh Edmonton Medical Staff, Edmonton's own Medical Staff Strategic COVID Pandemic Committee. Did I get that right? Uh, well, That's yeah, it was a it was the Edmonton Zone Medical Staff Association, which set up a strategic COVID nineteen pandemic committee, which then proceeded to call for circuit breakers, harsher lockdown measures, criticizing the government left, right, and center. They sent out letters, you know, signed by a bunch of healthcare professionals, some doctors, some radiologists, all of this, anyway. So. Um, well, Dr. McLeod's entitled to his opinions. People are entitled to be pro-lockdown. Uh, you know, if ever uh, 10 years from now, uh, we get you know a very different government in power that's going on a witch hunt to uh, punish people for pro-lockdown speech, uh, the Justice Center will be at the forefront to say, we're going to defend their free speech rights. There shouldn't be any penalties suffered by people by way of the government or by way of a government body like the College of Physicians and Surgeons. So I'll go to bat to I'm defend not, the free speech rights. Here, the problem right with Scott, Scott McLeod uh, is, is this, um, you know, he obviously thinks that lockdowns are wonderful and he's entitled to think that. I think he's, he's misguided and he's out of touch with facts and science, but that's just my view. But to then impose that on every Alberta doctor with the statement I read earlier that that doctors must uh, conform their practice to ensure that uh, doctors are uh, promoting the mm. Dina Henshaw's medicine to uh, <laughs> her her toxic lockdown medicine to to um, to the patients. Uh, this is this is the antithesis of science. Mm-hmm. Sci- the scientific approach to masks is to ask, are they helpful? Yes. No. Why? Why not? Are there harms to mask wearing, including psychological harms, mental health harms, physical harms? Are they useful? To what extent? Are they are they harmful? To what extent? And have the debate and have the discussion. The same thing on the vaccine. I read a column by a friend of mine, whose, whose name I won't mention, arguing that it was perfectly legitimate to deny air travel to people who uh, do not want to get themselves injected with an experimental vaccine. You know, there too, it's a matter of open debate. And part of that debate is to gather facts. And we uh, we're getting messages at at the Justice Center and uh, Member of Parliament Derek Sloan read off you know, people that have contacted his his uh, constituency office that say they, they, they've been harmed by vaccines, young, healthy people that have developed serious medical conditions. Now, the scientific approach is to say, well, let's, let's really be open-minded and let's look at the actual numbers. You know, is is it is it one in a million? Is it is it one in ten million? Is it one in a hundred thousand? One in ten thousand? One in a thousand? One in a hundred? What are the actual numbers of people getting harmed by vaccines? You cannot have that kind of scientific exploration when you've got medical colleges that are fanatically, ferociously demanding that every doctor 
push vaccines. Uh, same thing with a uh, Dr. Scott. I don't know if I've got his name right in British Columbia. He's being disciplined by the, the college disciplinary proceedings commenced for promoting vaccine hesitancy. It's like, no, the, the college shouldn't be promoting vaccine hesitancy or vaccine enthusiasm. The scientific approach is you don't promote hesitancy or enthusiasm because you have a preconceived conclusion already about vaccines. The scientific approach is to gather the facts and gather the data. And that necessarily involves not suppressing data that you might not like. So, you know, let's get all the anti-vaccine stuff uh, out on the table, but that's hard to do when you've got colleges threatening doctors, telling doctors that they must promote vaccines. Mm-hmm. A, a doctor getting this kind of a letter from the college is going to be reluctant to report or talk about somebody that's been damaged by vaccines because that's contrary to the ideology. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, speaking about uh, getting all the information out there, were you aware of the story that broke at the end of last week where it turned out that the WHO, World Health Organization, had stealth edited their page on the recommendations for vaccines to say that they do not recommend that children get vaccinated? Apparently, I read somewhere that they had done this on June 3rd. It only broke last week, at the end of last week. Maybe even at the beginning of this week. I'm not exactly sure what day it was. Anyways, it just broke and it suddenly became an international story. Turns out that, you know, governments are still, you know, offering incentives. They're talking about vaccinating children under 11 now, blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, the WHO, of course, has backed out of that completely and said that, uh, no, well, you know, there's no reason to vaccinate children. Yeah. And uh, so we should just, you know, hesitate. No, the hesitate. Who is, yeah, yeah. The who is well. The uh, who, the who also came out against lockdowns in yeah. October of 2020. The who said the World Health Organization said um, that uh, you know the lockdowns could be used on a on a very short term situation uh, for you know the the original rationale. If you can remember, March of 2020 was mm. that uh, at that time. The, uh, the media and the politicians were saying, we cannot stop. Of course, we can't stop a virus. We know that. We know that we can't stop a virus. It's out and about. It's everywhere. The only reason we've got these lockdowns is to manage how quickly the virus spreads so we don't have a massive wave of COVID patients getting into the hospital and not having access to respirators. And of course, two or three months later, they said, well, respirators are actually uh, useless in many situations uh, and they can be harmful. We don't really need as many respirators. But then once lockdowns were in place for a month or two, then the narrative changed to this permanent, uh, we have to destroy our economy and shred the fabric of civil society on a permanent basis and suffer uh, unemployment and poverty and mental health problems and loneliness and isolation and despair on a permanent basis because we're permanently trying to stop the spread of a virus. That, that's the new narrative that took over. But the original narrative was we need lockdowns to prevent the hospitals from getting overwhelmed uh, because we know that we can't stop a virus once it's out and about. Hmm. And that, that was our knowledge for the last 6,000 years. Uh, but now we've got this, this new idea that if, uh, if only we, we punish ourselves enough, we can somehow stop a virus 
that has a 99.77% survival rate and that can be managed and cured uh, effectively in many cases by vitamin D and ivermectin and uh, possibly other treatments as well. Right. Yeah. Well, the the who, their pattern seems to be, you know, go out there, create the panic, and then, uh, you know, secretly back away from it so that they CYA, cover their A's, and uh, let everybody else take the heat, take the fallout. That's the way they seem to roll. But there's no excuse. There's no excuse for what these, these colleges are doing. So going back to the Ontario College, uh, physicians have a professional responsibility to not communicate anti-vaccine, anti-masking, anti-distancing, and anti-lockdown statements. Well, we've talked about anti-vaccine. I mean, let, let's just take a scientific approach. Um, you know, and, and by the way, this is experimental. That's why I have no intention of, of getting vaccinated myself. I'm a generally healthy 53-year-old. COVID is not a threat to me. Why on earth would I put an experimental substance into my body? And one of the kinds of vaccines uh, apparently makes permanent changes to your cells. It's not even a vaccine in the in the traditional sense of getting injected with a, a small amount of COVID. Uh, so let's have the debate about the vaccines. Uh, let's have the, the debate about masks. Uh, social distancing is also um, open for... Debate. Our expert witness uh, Jay Bhattacharya, who was uh, was a world-renowned uh, Stanford scientist with with expertise in uh, in virology and related fields, and in his paper that we submitted before the Manitoba Court of Queens Bench, uh, he says that uh, asymptomatic spread is minimal, so we don't need the social distancing. Uh, other doctors have argued it's useless because the uh, the virus is airborne and it can travel 30 feet. So whether you're three feet or six feet away from somebody else, and obviously as for not coughing in somebody's face, that was already an understood norm prior to lockdowns. So um, I can't remember the last time somebody coughed in my face. I really can't. Or the last time I coughed in anybody's face. I mean, I just... No, I mean, and possibly with the exception of, you know, a two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old child hasn't yet learned this stuff. So, I mean, you know, yeah, parents okay. parents, and other family members, you could get a, a sneeze in your face and it's kind of yucky. But but gener- apart from small kids, I think people know that you don't cough or sneeze in somebody else's face. And mm-hmm. that's that's pretty clear. Now, the fourth one, physicians have a professional responsibility to not communicate anti-lockdown statements. This is even worse in a way because vaccine masking and uh, uh, social distancing, or I think more accurately, anti-social distancing, uh, those are you know specific things that should be subject to, to scientific debates, but they are possibly you know a form of, of treatment or preventative. But an anti-lockdown statement. So this effectively means that that family physicians can't talk about the increases in uh, in harms that their patients are suffering because that might be anti-lockdown. Uh, pediatricians can't talk about rising uh, rates of child suicide and child suicide attempts. Pediatricians can't talk about the rise of eating disorders in children. Mental health practitioners can't, well, I don't know if they're covered by the college. They probably have their own college. But uh, doctors who also, you know, see firsthand mental health harms, uh, they can't talk about increasing mental health harms because that would be an anti-lockdown statement. Uh, This is just absolutely outrageous that the uh, College of Physicians and Surgeons 
would take this uh, not, not only non-scientific, but anti-scientific approach and have its own previously arrived at conclusions, shove them down everybody's throat and sanction and threaten to uh, remove their license to practice medicine if they express their own medical and scientific opinion uh, on a current topic. It's disgraceful and outrageous. Agreed. Yes. And uh, potentially harmful. Well, actually, very harmful. I think it's very, very harmful. It has been harmful already. So, I mean, it's just uh, beyond the pale, actually. So, And the I number actually- of doctors I have talked to in the past 16 months who've told me privately that they think that lockdowns are very harmful and uh, uh, causing causing more harm than good. Uh, fortunately, more and more and more doctors are speaking out. Uh, we saw the ones at uh, Derek Sloan's news conference last week. I think it was June 18th. Uh, there are more doctors in Saskatchewan that are speaking out publicly against lockdowns. And uh, I like to think of it as, uh, if, if you can picture the visual in your mind of a, uh, of a dike, and the dike has a little leak. And if you don't plug that leak, the little trinkle becomes a slightly bigger trinkle. So it goes from uh, a quarter trickle. inch of water. Trickle? What did I say? Trinkle? Trinkle, yes. That's okay. <laughs> trinkle, trinkle, little star. Oh, come on. Um, okay. Let's just get past it. <laughs> no, okay. it's trickle, trickle, little star. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, no, but it goes, it goes from a quarter inch to an inch to two inches. And then all of a sudden it's a little stream and then it's a foot wide and then it's two feet wide, four feet wide. I think the uh, I, I think that the dike has been breached and the water is is leaking through in terms of doctors speaking out against lockdowns, and I think we're going to see more and more doctors get more and more vocal, even though right now it's still very difficult with these uh, anti scientific colleges that are uh, ideological and uh, threatening to punish people for speaking truth and for exploring the science. Right, I agree. I agree. I think that, uh, and I would encourage anybody that any doctors that, you know, just want to write in to us with a little bit of info or their support for these doctors, you can do that too. Uh, we don't have to uh, read your emails out on air, although you can let us know if you uh, would permit us. To I treat, that. I treat everything as confidential. Uh, anything that gets sent to info at jccf.ca. We get a lot of emails with a lot of interesting uh, information. I do share the information, uh, perhaps in a podcast or in a column or in one of my, my three-minute videos, etc. I, I make use of the information, but I do not state where I got the information from uh, because I just treat it. Anytime anybody talks to me, I treat it as solicitor client privilege and uh, and I, I keep in confidence the uh, the source. Right. Yeah. Well, I agree with you that I think that more are going to start speaking out because, of course, courage begets courage. We know that's a phenomenon. You know, the, when people see other people speaking out, they gain the confidence to do it themselves. I mean, there's other reasons. I happen to think that we're in for for a very interesting summer in all kinds of ways. I mean, that are go well beyond the reach of our topics here at the Justice Center. You know, I mean, I, I was looking at this. Uh, this Chinese spy story as well. And uh, that is the one down in the United States where they have a defector. I happen to think that over this summer, there's going to be a lot more people coming out and speaking uh, because a lot more information is going to come out as well. I just want to put that on the record. Sorry to detract from the topic itself. I'm I'm going to break, I'm going to break my own rule against making predictions. I, Uh 
usually I stay away from that topic, but I'm gonna gonna break my own rule and make a prediction. I think the uh, I think the battle in the the big battle in the next year is going to be the vaccine passports, whereby mm-hmm. people who choose not to uh, get themselves injected with with an experimental vaccine are going to become second class citizens, and I predict that the lockdowns will be largely lifted, but they will be replaced by a new system, whereby if you don't have your proof of vaccine proof of two doses in the form of uh, in Manitoba, they call it an immunization card. Well, Same thing as a vaccine passport. Yeah, that, they've done a lot of progress uh, on that. Or regress. Trudeau, down in, uh, Prime uh, Minister Europe, Trudeau so. has stated publicly that uh, people, uh, this is within the past week, Prime Minister Trudeau has stated publicly that uh, people without the vaccine passport will not be able to fly internationally. Mm-hmm. So this is totalitarian communism, a feature thereof. One of the features of the uh, totalitarianism is that citizens cannot freely enter and leave their own country, that the government is in charge uh, of that. And people are denied their basic human right to leave and to go elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And this is fundamental to totalitarianism because uh, what (laughs) what the communists found throughout their 70 years is that when, when there's not a barbed wire fence or electric fence or both, and guards with guns and German shepherds, uh, et cetera, et cetera, when you don't have that in place, huge numbers of people will leave. This is why the Berlin Wall was built, uh, because in the first years after the uh, Second World War, there are huge numbers of people, hundreds every day, thousands every day. They walked from East Berlin into West Berlin, and then they applied for asylum or applied to become West German citizens. And so they, um, the communists built a large, tall wall, a, a big fat cement wall that was tall, and it was also reinforced. There was barbed wire, and there were soldiers, and there was guard towers, et cetera, et cetera. They built a wall around West Berlin, uh, which was, you know, in the middle of of East Germany. To it wasn't it wasn't to prevent the West Berliners from going into East Germany. They weren't interested. Nobody was interested. Very few people. I'm told that uh, the current chancellor of Germany, uh, Angela Merkel, that her father, who was a pastor, moved from, Connie, yeah. moved from West Germany into East Germany. So, okay, so there were a few, but this was not the general trend. It was not the general movement. The movement was from East Germany to West Germany. And you saw it in 1956, there's so many uh, Hungarian uh, Canadians who came here or their parents came here in 1956 because the Hungarians briefly overthrew their communist government. And there was a window of opportunity. Of course, that was crushed by the, the Soviet tanks uh, to uh, reimpose the workers' paradise back on uh, the, they, the thankful people. That a lockdown. Wasn't that a lockdown? <laughs> um, so there, there are lots of Hungarians that left Hungary in 1956 when they had a, a brief opportunity to do so. North Korea is a giant prison camp. People can't get out. So now we're getting to a smaller degree, we're getting that in Canada where it's say, well, if you don't want to get injected with this experimental substance, we're going to punish you by taking away your right to get on an airplane and fly somewhere else. Uh, I don't I don't know what they're going to try to do for uh, for land crossings 
But uh, I, I think that's very ominous that you have the prime minister publicly stating that uh, tr- international travel by airplane is going to become uh, impossible unless you have your vaccine passport. Mm-hmm. Uh, in British Columbia, the, uh, the chief medical officer, Dr. Bonnie Henry, has stated publicly that she is in collaboration with other provinces and with federal governments to institute uh, some form of vaccine passport. So I think the big battle that's coming up next is uh, that lockdowns will be largely lifted, but they will be replaced by a system where the government turns the non-vaccinated into second-class citizens, which is an egregious and unacceptable violation of human rights. Nobody should be forced to take uh, have an experimental substance injected into them, especially not for a virus that has a 99.77% survival rate. I mean, there's no, there's no need for it. You could arguably justify it uh, if this was like the Spanish flu of 1918 and people were dropping dead like flies left, right, and center. In 1918, there were uh, between 20 and 50 million people that died of the Spanish flu. And uh, some historians argue 100 million. And so the, the, the Spanish flu was, was uh, and it was killing people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. It was indiscriminate. It actually had a real impact on life expectancy. Whereas the government data and statistics tell us that uh, you know three quarters or more of the people that have died with COVID would have died of something else of short order, which makes it inaccurate to uh, portray this as, as some sort of an unusually deadly killer that we should fear when COVID has not had an impact on life expectancy. You look at Statistics Canada, the death rates in 2020, taking into account uh, our aging population and our growing population, the uh, death rates in Canada in 2020 were in line with 2019, 2018, 2017. So COVID's had no impact on life expectancy. So well, it, it's kind of... I know, but you, the problem is, at some point, we got to get a judge to agree. Because right now, every judgment that I've read that has gone against the Justice Center, it's generally the judge has agreed that this is an unusually deadly killer and asymptomatic spread is high and all this stuff. And, you know... Those comments, it is it is disappointing and it's worrisome that uh, the judges, uh, some judges, are blindly swallowing whatever they hear on the six o'clock news and taking that to be science, uh, which it isn't. It's, it's propaganda. So far, these comments by judges are in obiter, meaning that they are secondary comments okay. uh, and they're not based on a review of the evidence. Uh, the judgment that will be very significant will be the one f- coming out of Manitoba in the next few weeks or months because we had a full-fledged trial there with the evidence put before the court, and uh, we'll have to we'll have to wait and see what the uh, outcome is there. Mm-hmm. For sure, shocking revelation for people listening to the podcast for the first time in that Manitoba trial in May, the Manitoba government's. Uh, expert witness who was the head of the Winnipeg Labs uh, admitted under oath on the stand that at least 56% of the uh, positive PCR test results are false positives. 
So yeah. when the media, when the government in Manitoba is saying, you know, we have 2,000 new cases of COVID, uh, the government actually knew that at least 56% of those were false positives. And yet they trot out these uh, positive numbers and everybody blindly swallows this, you know, as a COVID case. A well, case it's not is that a they perversion. just blindly swallowed it. The government admitted that that's what they were using to dictate policy, guide them on policy. I shouldn't say dictate, to guide them on policy. So without admitting that they were getting all these false positives, they just went ahead and locked down. And they just went ahead everybody. and did it anyway. Yeah. At, so. at some point in the next week or so, uh, the Justice Center is going to post on its website a uh, summary of the Manitoba trial. And uh, that's going to be very interesting reading because the media gave it uh, next to zero coverage. And uh, so a new thing that the Justice Center is doing is that every time that we're in court, we're going to have a staff member or a contractor be observing the court proceedings and uh, taking notes and reporting on it uh, so we can put down what happened in court and put it on our website and also spread the word via uh, Facebook and Twitter and other social media. Because uh, the media are not reporting on what goes on in court. Um, mm. Well, they do, so th- but they, you know, their 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 problem is omissions, right? That's what they love to do. They love to omit things. It's the omission. It's the same. It's the same thing yeah, when so. the uh, when the stern faced, solemn faced uh, chief medical officer walks to the microphone at yet another news conference and uh, announces with great fanfare that you know we we had another three COVID deaths in Alberta in the past week. And then uh, neither she nor the media will tell you that there's 497 other people who also died because as normal in Alberta, uh, there are over 500 deaths every week mm. because we're a province of 4.4 million people. We've got you know 27,000 people that die every year, which is the normal thing you would expect in a province of 4.4 million people. And the media will dramatize you know the, the 10 COVID deaths or the three COVID deaths and never mention that in that same week, uh, there are you know, 500 people that died. And the biggest causes of death are still uh, cancer and heart disease and stroke. And uh, COVID is is um, uh, it is not at all a leading cause of death. Right. In Canada last year, 309,000 people died in 2020. And of those 309,000, about 5% died with COVID, not necessarily of COVID. So 95% of people are dying of, of causes other than COVID, at least 95%. Right, yeah. I just, so I is that omission? I'm just backing yeah, you up, Kevin. Yeah, That's, I appreciate that. Omission, that. Yeah. omission is deceptive. If you don't yeah. provide relevant context that ought to be provided, you are misleading people. Right, yeah. I agree, and thank you for that backup. I just want to stick a couple of things in here at the end. The first was I promised – Myself, I would say this, and this has to do with the Alberta lockdowns being lifted and all the restrictions being lifted. I wanted to say that I haven't seen this yet. I'm not sure if it's been in the news, but the Alberta government has to do what the Florida government did. If they are going to test with a PCR test, the cycle level has to be published with the test results because otherwise I won't take the government seriously about ending the lockdowns. They are at the mercy 
of the medical establishment that can punish them at any time politically, and it'll be a political punishment using the the national media and uh, the medical establishment to show you know how irresponsible the government was. No, you've got to make it a law that those PCR tests, the cycle levels, have to be published with it, and that will put them in a bind because they won't be able to flare up. Uh, the numbers uh, out of nowhere. So I wanted to say that. Also, I wanted to acknowledge one other guy that wrote in. Uh, he wrote in to us, and uh, his name was George. He wrote in. This has to do with, I guess, the motives behind the everything. But he, he writes, I highly recommend that you and Kevin watch this video for your podcast. You both are having difficulty understanding why our governments are acting unconstitutionally with apparent reluctance to show the evidence in court for their actions. Uh, the video he sent in is called The Soviet Story. I'll, I'll put a link into it. I will give a caveat on it. It's very hard to watch. If you enjoy your day, don't watch this because you're going to have to get used to seeing grainy black and white pictures of bulldozers shoving corpses into mass graves and things like that. There's a lot of that. Uh, okay, he goes on to say, this video was censored for many years, but is now available and is a must watch for those who seek to understand socialism and the horrors that it brings for all of us. Best, George. Yes, thank you, George. I, I wanted to mention that because you had mentioned that movie, um, Mr. Jones, and this is a good companion, but it's very hard to watch. I mean, it's not a good companion. It's, it actually is gut-wrenching as heck. It's an appropriate companion. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mr. Jones is a, is a very worthwhile story about yeah. the, uh, the, the reporter that went into Ukraine in the 1930s when Stalin mm. was uh, perpetrating a genocide on the Ukrainian people by starving them to death. And that's known as the uh, Holodomor, yeah. and uh, 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 very, very, very. Also, a disturbing movie, but it's it's a good movie. It's very well done. You're right, and I just want to reply to George. Uh, I don't know if we're having difficulty understanding this. I know that after having seen your recommendation, the Soviet story, that I would prefer to be in denial, <laughs> if anything. Uh, but I am not. I am not uh, completely ignorant of the situation. I do ha have a, my own copy of the Black Book of Communism, of course, which gets mentioned in there, uh, which I'm holding up to John right now. Great big thick book, the Black Book of Communism, gets mentioned in that, and uh, I have my own little copy of that. Okay, that's my final thoughts for today. Anything else you'd like to wrap up with, John, or are we ready to sign off? Just a brief addendum to your first point on the cycle thresholds. I, I agree uh, it should be well known how many cycles they're running the PCR tests at, because numerous scientists have pointed out that if you, uh, it should be no no more than thirty cycles. Uh, thirty five is way too high. You generate huge numbers of false positives. Jason Kenney uh, stated publicly in December on a uh, video clip that I saw. He's uh, sitting beside a Christmas tree, and I think he was fielding uh, questions. And he said the cycle threshold in Alberta, uh, and I need to verify this if my memory might not be correct, but just going by memory, uh, he said that we're running it at 40 cycles in Alberta, so we're getting uh, huge numbers of false positives. The other interesting thing about the cases is that they, they correlate with how many tests are being run. So if the government really you know puts the uh, foot on the gas pedal to uh to say we're we're going to do you know 100,000 or 500,000 tests this week the more tests you do the more positive results you get 
Mm-hmm. And uh, on, on our website, I think there's there's charts there showing that, again, based on government data, uh, that the, the more tests that they do, uh, the more positive PCR test results they, there are. And the media don't tell you that either. They say, oh, you know, now we, you know, well, last week we only had 100 uh, uh, positive uh, PCR test results, you know, but now it's up to 1,000. Well, okay, but the government's just running way more tests as well. So right. yeah. uh, that too. Yeah. It's easy to get this data, to push them to make it available. And that's what the government has to do. If they are serious about opening up permanently, they've got to do that. So, I mean, that's what DeSantis did down in Florida, and it worked well. Okay, I think we can probably now call an end to episode 24 of Justice with John Carpe. It's been a good one. Thanks, John, and I hope to talk to you next week. Talk to you next week, Kevin.